Hey, it's called Lucas. Uh, obviously, I'm really busy, so uh, if you leave a message and I'll like you, I'll call you back. Cheers. Please leave a detailed message after the tone. When you have finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Yeah, you're supposed to be busy, Lucas Herbert. It's Inside the Ropes, Annie Marelli, Whitaker, and you're supposed to be talking to us right now. I know, Lucas, we've got a massive show today. We were hoping to chat to you about your journey in the US, a little bit of the PGA Chance. We're going to talk to Joel Taylor later on and do our wraparound of the world, but only if you have the time. So give us a call back when you can. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe now through your favourite podcast app. G'day, everybody. Welcome to the show. It is Inside the Ropes, episode number 208. 208, if you don't mind. Great to be here. There's no Blake, there's no Hayes, but we're all better for there being a Whitaker. <laughs> that being Alison Whitaker. How are you, superstar? I'm doing well. That's such a stretch, but I'll take it. It's the absolute hand-on-heart truth, and you know it. Uh, Lucas Herbert's going to join us in the middle part of the pod today. Looking forward to catching up with him. Great friend of the show, of course, and he's going through a bit of a transition in his life, having sort of setting up over in the States for a... For an Australian kid who loves his mates and loves his home and loves his family and loves being an Australian in Australia, this is going to be a big moment in the time of Luca Herbert, Lucas Herbert's professional career. It's Yeah, it is huge. It's a really big transition and, and it's one of the things that, you know, I've said it time and time again that I love about Inside the Ropes is, is getting to go on these journeys mm. and, and taking everyone kind of... Uh, along with the stages of a professional career, f- for better and for worse. Mm. Um, we never shy away from the tricky bits either, which um, I'm really looking forward to hearing about it. And he's teeing it up, of course, as one of the Australians over at uh, Kiwara Island. So we'll talk to him about his aspirations for all of that. We're also going to dive quickly into the the, the development of the uh, Prolonged Drivers Association, which I must admit is something I've never heard of being part of the golfing landscape here in Australia. Joel Taylor's the sort of guy with his hands on the ropes of that here in Australia. But um, they're trying to evolve that into something meaningful here in Australia. So we'll find out a bit about that on the way through. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It's funny, actually. I had this moment at the Women's British Amateur uh, a couple of years back. I was walking around with Becky Kay and Amelia Garvey from New Zealand. And, mm. and we, you know, it was on the last night. We'd, we'd been out for dinner and this, this girl walked past us. And they said, oh, that's Troy Mullins. And I was like, who's Troy Mullins? And they're like, don't you know? She's she's one of the world long drive champs. Right, and okay, so right. they knew. Yeah, yeah. And so oh, yeah. there's okay. there's actually that kind of notoriety about it in the US. And it's just lost a little bit of momentum um, through the COVID period mm. because, you know, Golf Channel, like every other company, had to make some cuts and they focused on the major tours, uh, which I can't blame them for. But, you know, where does it go from here? When you were at your absolute athletic beast mode peak... <laughs> And you had conditions in your favour that were still legal from a pro driving perspective. Mm-hmm. How far could Where's you crank it out? How far could you crank it out there? Oh, it was no slouch. Yeah, well, give me a number. Oh, I don't know. It was in the kind of two eighty mark. That's respectable. Yeah, isn't yeah, it? I'd say I was like medium plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, good. It's got me well and truly covered. Uh, right. So we'll do most of our PGA Championship chat with um, with Lucas when he joins us. Um, We've got a good lineup going over there, though, haven't we? It's a, Jason Scrivener is kind of the one that's emerged into the um, the established names alongside, you know, the, the Lucas Herbert, the youngsters coming through. But it's good to see Scriv getting his opportunity, one of WA's favourite sons. It's good to see him getting 
his opportunity off the European tour out of Australia um, in in a field like this. He's so sneaky. His game's really gone up a notch mm. in the last 18 months as well. He's sixth on the race to Dubai at the moment as a result of that um, runner-up finish in Abu Dhabi, mm. a Rolex Series event on the European tour at the start of the year and Desert Swing kicked off his year nicely and is reaping the rewards and he is going to be absolutely lapping it up this week and uh, hopefully it's a sign of more to come. <laughs> uh, we'd love uh, the story of the week to be an Australian one, but it's pretty hard to go past Richard Bland this week. I mean, go- golf is a remarkable game. You can winning is hard, and winning doesn't happen often. Um, you know, even by Tiger Woods' standards, he doesn't. He wins at one every. You'll, you probably know one every five tournaments he plays, something like that in his professional career. So you're not turning it up and winning every week. It's it's actually for the best player on the planet, you're winning somewhere about fifteen to twenty percent, not even twenty percent, fifteen to sixteen percent of the time. Richard Bland, you've probably all know the story now, 48 years of age, 478th start. 48 years of age, 478th start on the European Tour. Tastes victory for the first time. Can you imagine what that must have been like for him? I, mean, I well, we got to see it really, didn't mm. we? At the end of the broadcast, um, you know, they had his family on. Tim Barter, who interviewed him, is actually his coach as it's well. It's remarkable. And so, yeah. in terms of kind of having everyone there, and that's so special for Tim to actually be on site because he doesn't work. You know, he works a lot, Tim mm. Barter, but he doesn't work every week. And if he'd missed it, it would have been, you know, equal parts joy and heartbreak <laughs> yes. for him. Uh, but, but yeah, like Richard Bland, I actually met him at the end of last year in South Africa, driving around um, and, you know, looking at the golf course. And he, I remember I, I just went through, I rifled through his bag. It was hilarious. He's such a lovely guy. <laughs> was like, he had a 10 iron yeah. in his bag. What? And I was like, all right. So I started calling him 10 iron, yeah. uh, which is just a pitching wedge essentially. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. you know, it's, it's just something different. And, uh, and he's, he was really happy with where his game was. He actually, he actually played really well um, on that. That South African swing, and I feel like that kind of built his confidence because he lost his card in twenty, I think it was twenty eighteen. Went back yep. to the Challenge Tour at the age of forty six. Oh, that's a hell of a story. And so you know, and mm. he wants he's got the game quite obviously to play, you know, on the the Champions Tour and that kind of thing. But um, he's like, what what else am I going to do? Of course, I'm going to go back to the Challenge Tour and mm. keep trying to play until because otherwise you've got to fill the gap uh, between you know, 46 and, mm, and white and 50 yeah, and yeah, weight. And yeah. it's really hard to keep your game sharp, but just such, such a lovely bloke. And even that didn't come easy. I mean, he makes, he, he makes that 35, 40 footer on 18 to get to 13, I think maybe 12 or 13. And then there was still four or five others out on the course. Migliozzi mm. was one who he eventually had to knock over in the playoff, uh, who was a couple behind him. So he, even when he has the moment and he buries his, face in his cap as he stands there realising that he's put himself right on the cusp. Then he still had to wait for the better part of an hour to to seal the fortune. No, nothing came easy to him, even at the ultimate moment. It was um it was quite it was quite brilliant sporting drama the way that played out in the end. I think I think with six holes to go, there was about five guys mm. on eleven under par. Something like yeah, yeah. was it about and that? So it, was, yeah. it was a real yeah. bunk fight. And so for me, I, I have this theory about players that that find that find it hard to get over the line. And he, granted, I think he's had roughly about a handful of second and third places. Yep. Um, he's had a truckload of top tens. Obviously, I think about thirty five off the top of my head. But uh, I, I always think it's better to have that kind of element of chaos mm. in the final few holes because there's so much going on that it's actually 
hard to feel like all of the attention's on yourself. Mm. And and that part when he hold it on the 18th in regulation play showed how much he was aware. So I was actually quite surprised because he was a long way ahead of the final groups mm. and got in early. I was surprised by how aware he was of how much that putt was worth. Mm. Um, so obviously, you know, he, he was in the mind frame. Um, but I, you know, those kind of players, I always expect them to either shoot 66 and win on the last day and come from behind or that kind of chaos. I just think those are slightly easier ways to win when, yeah, when the limelight's yeah. off you. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. And yeah, just so incredibly thrilled for him. In the end, it was Miliotzi's three part at the last, who was closer to the hole in two, uh, hit this monster drive, had about 150 in, hit the green on the right tier and then three putted. Mm. And, uh, you know, he, he's had his fair share of moments well, um, mm. with his wins to his name and some, some pretty cool putts on the last, but it just wasn't his week. There's, there's, I don't think there's many games like it, um, many sports like it in the world where those that have had to battle nerves and are happy to talk about it. They're mm. happy to go, look, this is who I am. Yep. And this gets me. It mm. does get me. When I'm in contention, when I'm under the cosh, I, I do I do feel nervous. And, um, and it, it does cost me and it does affect mm. me. There aren't many games in the world where the performers are a prone to it because it's it's a game that does challenge you in the head as much as it does in the body mm. but be are prepared when they're prepared to talk about it, when golfers talk about that part of the anxiety of it getting the better of them oh it's a tortured study in humanity when you see them <laughs> do that sort of thing and you know so good on him and hopefully his outlook on everything now as a professional golfer changes and who knows one might lead to two or three in very quick succession. And if it does, the psychology of um, sport and golf within sport will be there for us all to, as amateur psychologists, all for, for us there to see for all mm. of us with Richard Bland's performance yeah, from now on. It wasn't a flash in the pan, but even an oldest ever first-time winner. It's unbel- oh, yeah, of course. I think. So yeah. Min Woo, the best of the Aussies, 21st yep. tied. Uh, in the British Masters, uh, there's, you know, we're waiting, aren't we? We're waiting for him to just put it together. It's, just, it's all there. We know of all of the young Australians that have come through, yep. um, it, he is as exciting a raw um, product as, it's not, as, as just about any of them I'll put to you. Yeah, it's interesting. We talk about, like, it's kind of like in in the world of entertainment, mm. you know, you think about, uh, you know, the movies and, you know, there's there's those people that are great at their job, but they don't have a lot of star power. He he has it. Mm. He has the it factor. Um, another guy that springs to mind that I think has it, and and you it, you almost need to be in person to understand it, is Garrett Higo. Mm. Uh, what a player. He's, what a player. And he's, he's... he is bounding oh, at the yeah, moment. God. Um, but I, I really feel like... You know, Lucas has it as well. Yeah, We're going to yeah, chat to him in a yeah. little while. It's it's just a matter of reps. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're already with a win underneath his belt at the, the ISPS Hunter Vic Open. But, um, yeah, the stage is set, isn't yeah, it, in that it career? Is. It feels like it. So we'll, can you, we'll continue to watch, you know, his hopefully ascent upon ascent. A whole lot of his contemporaries as we work our way through what Australians have done. And by all means, they'll jump in with whatever's caught your eye from um, from the week. But Harrison Endicott, the best of the kids, the young men, um, over on Corn Ferry. Again, a lot of miscuts. Robin Allenby withdraws. Hard, it's, it's sort of hard to see the name Allenby in the start list, given where he's at, but he wants to try and continue to compete, and he doesn't get through, get through the first round and then pulls the pin after that. Just goes to show how hard it is. And we, and we reflect on this every now and again. 
Endicott shoots 65, 65, 66, 68, and it's only good enough for a tie for fourth. I mean, you've got to have a hell of a week, don't you? Well, to... I, yeah. I mean, the guy that, that took it away, um, didn't he shoot 61? Yeah, some Grayson, probably, yeah. Grayson Sig, 61 in the first round, I yeah, believe. Yeah. It's not too shabby. No, it's not too shabby. Hard to catch. It is, it is. Um, so, you know, the, too many miscuts again this week, but it is one of those tournaments where you, I think you probably teed up on day one thinking, I've got to shoot 65, yeah. 65, 65. And, if, and you go, so you just go for it. Mm. You just probably go for it. It's that sort of tournament by the, yeah. or that sort of event, um, that sort of, um, uh, that sort of tool by the sounds of things. We're starting to understand that pretty well. Where was your eye taken across the week? Anywhere uh, in particular? Well, I felt for the women in South Africa. The SA Women's Open down there at Westlake Golf Club. And there was a, a video posted by Caroline Headwall that really made me laugh because I, I had days like this on tour where people just don't understand how wet it is. And so uh, she she's finished her round. She's gone to the back of her car and she's just properly soaked <laughs> and she's taken her shoe off and poured water uh-huh. out of her shoe and she's like literally you could like it actually had some flow to it it wasn't a dribble <laughs> it had flow so um yeah so that was that was quite entertaining our own uh, Amy Walsh made the trek down there she's been over in the UK for Yonks. So what she been? She been playing secondary tour. She been playing much European tour. Yeah, I, stuff. What she been doing? Well, I mean, it's been a little bit stop start, mm. uh, to be honest with you. But yeah, she she's uh, from up in uh, up in Queensland in the in the Gold Coast region. I think they technically live in Rabina, mm-hmm. um, to be specific. Uh, but yeah, she's just been kind of doing her own thing mm. over there and just hanging out in the UK. So it's like I say, it, it's been a bit of a lack of opportunity as well. The, mm. the Rose Lady series has been priceless to a lot of the people in the UK. Um, Justin Rose and, and his wife, Kate, yes. have been incredible on that yep. front. Yep. Um, there was actually a really good win by Becky Brewerton uh, in their first event of this season, who is one of the best ball strikers I've ever seen. She played Solheim Cup. She got the kind of, well, technically got, kind of got the yips, mm. fell away. So it was a really big um, comeback from her to see her hold a trophy again, which was really positive. But yeah, uh, Leanne Pace took the title on the LET this past week. She is, I was doing my Olympic prep the other day. I was looking through the list. So it's 60, 60 players from all around the world. And I went down to, I looked at South Africa. And I'm like, Pacey is such a sleeper. Mm. Like she is one of those players that she's a little bit like Scott Hen. She could have five missed cuts, mm. but she can still win. Mm. And she has won. She won on multiple times on the LET and the LPGA. And, uh, and then sure enough, she pops up mm. at the end of the week. And so, um, one by a shot over Leonie Harm from Germany, who yeah, has an incredible story to, in her own right, had a massive car accident when she was playing college golf in Houston. So just for her to even be showing up, uh, is a big deal. She's walked away with the women's amateur title in uh, in the UK as well, and just another yeah, you know great we, narrative. Great stories of plenty of them. Yeah, that's great. Um, the women are on the Symmetra. Um, solid performances. Gabby Ruffles tied seventeen. Julianne Sue twenty two. Robin Choi tied thirty four. So you know we'll continue. They're all evolving and mm. in the development phases of their careers. Um, PJ two is the Byron Nelson lead up, of course, to the. Um, the, the major championship this week. Only two Australians made the cut. Um, Mark Leishman tied 21st and Cam Percy 70th. I'm right in getting the two Australians that got through there. Um, so that's pretty much it. A couple of the Australians teed it up on the Challenge Tour and the old boys were going around on the Champions Tour. Can I just ask you, you mentioned um, college golf on the way through there. Can I just get you, before we get to the break and get to mm-hmm. Lucas Herbert, your thoughts on 
what happened with the NCAA. Most of us who love our golf and try and keep a finger on the pulse of it may have caught up with what took place in the national championship in the NCAA and the women's side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who don't, just give us the very brief, the skinny on what happened and your reaction to the decisions that were made. Uh, well, essentially, you, you kind of finish your school year and then you stick around for regionals and nationals. So you play your, your conference. So it's it's extra golf after the year has finished. Um, generally, Big deal. Big, big deal. Yeah, the biggest we, deal in your college life. Right? No this one stuff. gets a free pass. The defending champion doesn't get a free pass to the to the nationals. Yep. You, don't, you have to earn it. Yep. And so for a lot of the lower ranked teams getting through to regionals is a big deal. And then having a chance to get to nationals just to get to nationals mm. is huge. Um, the problem was uh, they had terrible weather out in Baton Rouge in Louisiana. And essentially they decided that the course wasn't in quote unquote championship form and condition. Um, and this is the last time seniors get to play for their and they didn't get to play last it's four year. Four years of, in the making. They didn't get to play last year because of COVID, so yep. that was shut down last year. And this year gets called off because of what I what I gather based on the reaction has been a questionable decision to cancel all three days of play because of weather. It, 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 the reaction has been it's almost been unanimously agreed upon as being a pretty cruel decision by the NCAA officials to do what they did. Yeah, well, and so. Not to get overly technical, but the NCAA have this thing called Title IX, which is gender equality in its most basic form um, in the fact that there's so many sports sports that boys play. Mm. that So there's not a comparative amount of scholarships available for the women. So this is something that they've put in play, I think it was in the 70s. Um, and because, you know, you can have 100 guys, 85 guys, I think, on an NCAA football scholarship roster, but there's no female equivalent. Mm. So that's 85 more college scholarships to men yeah, than right. women. And yeah. so, yeah. you know, so th- th- there's a lot of intric- intricacies to it. One of the things I loved was the guys from Barstool Sports. Um, so Sam um, Bazonian, he, um, known as Riggs, he's actually put on an event this week where he's got private funding for all of the teams. Mm. Any of the teams that got shafted essentially last week, um, they can come to Arizona, the national championships on it in Arizona in Greyhawk, but they've got a two-day event that they've just created right. for these teams to come and just have a proper fitting to their, a lot of, you know, their seniors' careers, yeah. um, which I think is really lovely that and is a, a really great gesture. That is a good yeah. thing to do. So, yeah, yeah. But, but probably a good thing for Barstool Sports to be doing as well, <laughs> given some of their, so, so yeah, so yeah. that's a, that's a win, a it's a, a win-win. Yeah. yeah, it's a bit of a turn for them, but it, it, mm. in its basic form, they just disagreed and acted. Good which, on them. Um, no, that's a great regardless thing Regardless of who it comes from, I'm all yeah. for it. And they've made, a, they've made their name off the back of sports, so to give a bit back and some of the sort of fringe elements of sports. So, Well, he's uh, giving up being at Kiwa. This, he's meant to be on site at the PGA okay. yep, yep. instead of doing that. That's a taken, great thing to do. Taking control and, yep. uh, and put on a two-day event. So you mentioned gender, which which means I'm going to ask you one more thing before okay. we get to the break. I'd never heard the name Hayley Davidson, mm. 28-year-old player, uh, wants to play on the LPGA tour. In January, she went through hormone. Um, she went through. She underwent gender reassignment surgery. She's been undergoing hormone treatment since 2015. This is the evolving. Um, landscape of humanity in which we live and in, in, in the prism of pro sport. She wins a tournament to put herself right into the, in a lower, in a lower event to put herself back in the frame to apply for um, LPGA tour membership. Now that's being considered as we speak. Where to, in 2021, in the time that you started playing to where we are now, 
where are the athletes? Where are the where are her potential competitors on um, allocation of tour status for players that have gone through um, the sorts of gender reassignment that Haley Davidson's part been party to? You mean is there a precedent for it? No, or? no, 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 not not necessarily that because there are, we understand you know there has yep. been you know Miani Bagger. Most of us know, know her story mm-hmm. here in Australia. Are they accepting? Are most players accepting of? Um, human beings that have been through that, turning it up against them? Uh, it's been the norm for me growing up in golf. Yep. So I, I, in terms of my own experience, you know, it's just a generational thing yep. um, that I, I imagine in generations going forward, it'll probably be quite normal. Yeah, of course it will. Uh, yeah. And hopefully, you know, hopefully for Hayley, uh, she gets the chance to tell her story because mm. If you think this is easy and the life up until that point where the person you look at in the mirror doesn't match who you feel like is inside, um, I can only imagine. So hopefully she actually gets uh, a platform to talk to the people that are opposed to it and and can have that conversation because it's not an easy life to leave. And it's great that she's, you know found herself, found her happiness and found some great golf form. Mm. The notion that people do this because they want to be winning golf tournaments is completely misguided. Uh, well said. Good on you. Righto, Lucas Herbert's going to join us on the other side of the break. A heap to talk to him about. Still a whole lot of bits and pieces to get through once we're done with uh, Herbie. So stick around. It's Inside the Ropes. More to come after this. With Australian Golf Media, you're back inside the ropes. Welcome back to the show. As um, Elle mentioned off the top, uh, Lucas Herbert, good friend to everybody here at Inside the Ropes, um, has got some big things on his mind at the moment. Uh, he's going to be playing in a little golf tournament that kicks off our time Friday morning. Uh, he's got a lot of other stuff going on around all of that, and he's been good enough to join us as we catch up with him. Lucas, thanks for joining us on the show again, mate. Appreciate your time. Oh, thanks for having us back. It's been a while. It has, and there's a fair bit of uh, moving pieces in your world, which we'll have a chat about. But and we'll talk more about you know the, your aspirations um, for this coming weekend in, in the second part of the chat. But um, just as a kind of setup, how how is it over there in South Carolina? What what sort of conditions have you been told to expect for the PGA this weekend? Uh, yeah, well, I've played. I think I've played three practice rounds now, and I'm not expecting it to be easy. Uh, it is a brute of a golf course. I think it's, I think it's the longest in major championship history um, and probably going to be expected to blow pretty hard with the wind. So uh, there's not really too much out there that's easy about the place. Uh, the wind gets up. I can't see too too many scores under par. So, yeah, she's, <laughs> she's going to be a fun week. So we'll dive into that a bit later on. Um, but as the setup to that, Tell us about, we're really keen to know, because people have been listening to this um, show for years now, have been kind of following your progress, and you've always been really generous with your time here. You've, you've decided to set up base over in Florida. How big a transition has the last sort of six to 12 months been for you? Uh, yeah, obviously, COVID's making life very easy for us, um, travelling as, as athletes, so... Yeah, I think I came home in October last year and chatted to a few people at the time and it, it obviously looked like quarantine was at least going to be extended through the end of this year, um, heading back to Australia. And I think until I was playing the US Tour full-time, I was pretty happy to be travelling back from Australia. I just found like I was a bit of a homebody, loved being at home with all my friends and, and all my support team were there as well. So it sort of made sense to, to still live in Australia at the time, but it's just... It's too hard. The, the quarantine process is 
is really, really difficult. Um, especially, I mean, Don, my coach, did it a month or two ago, and felt like for him it was somewhat easier because he's doing a lot of online lessons, so you'd actually structure your day a little bit. You could get some work done. If you felt like you, could, you know, for him, he felt like he'd probably do a productive couple of weeks. Whereas, you know, as a golfer, like, what am I supposed to do? I can't really hit any shots in there. Uh, mm. Can't do any short game work. So, it's just felt like two weeks wasted out of my life. Uh, usually, usually equated to about four or five kilos extra as well. That I had to turn off at the end because <laughs> the Uber Eats still sort of adds up. So, uh, yeah, it's, just, it's it's brutal. It's really, I think, mental health wise, I wouldn't want to do it very many more times. Uh, I'm going to try and avoid it as much as possible. So, yeah, to me, I um, I sort of started making some inroads towards planning to to shift everything over here this year. So. Yeah, I was. I had a bit of a. I, I left Australia in January. Felt like I had a bit of a, a thought around. Yeah, I might set up somewhere in America. And I finished finished the desert swing when I was over in the states here for about a week, and then I flew into Orlando to kind of do some practice to get ready for the WGC at concession. And I was there for about twenty four hours, maybe not even. And I straight away went. This is exactly where I need to be long term. Uh, it's got the best facilities, the best sort of environment for me to get better at my game uh, just to play even in Europe. So, yeah, I think I, I, I joined Isleworth Country Club. I think I joined before I'd even seen the golf course. The first time I walked in there was my interview to join uh, the club. So, as anyone would, that would know me, I'm extremely impulsive and that was another example of how impulsive I am. So, uh, yeah, joined there. Um, and then, yeah, just uh, I got an apartment over here and then yeah, just sort of slowly setting up my life a little bit over here. It's, it's funny, like, I'm not sure how long it's going to be here. I'm not sure whether I'll end up back in Australia in 12 months' time or whether, you know, this is a, a long-term kind of thing. It's it's all a bit it's all a bit sort of unknown at this stage. But, I mean, if I keep playing good golf, well, if I, if I start playing some good golf, to be honest, I haven't played much good golf recently, but if I start <laughs> playing better golf and uh, start training in the right direction, you'd want to hope that I'm going to be spending a lot more time in America. So uh, a bit of an incentive for me to do that. So one of the things I've always loved about this podcast is getting behind the scenes in terms of like the actual journey. So, you, so you've gone to Florida. What comes first, the apartment or the golf club? Uh, I joined the golf club for a start because it was like I was playing events and I needed somewhere to practice. Okay. Um, <laughs> so that was, that, was the logic, that was the logic there. And then... Then it was just kind of a process of driving around a little bit and having a look at the areas that I liked and uh, where I sort of felt like I wanted to be. And it was, it's Orlando's a really cool town. You sort of got a lot of different options in terms of like whatever you like, the environment you like living in, whether you like a lot more like hustle and bustle in the city or um, a bit more like going on, like more restaurants and stuff around, or whether you want to just be out in more of a gated community and just away from everything and in a nicer part of town or. Um, you know, whether you want some land or like, there's just, there's a lot of different options for places you can live in. So that was kind of nice. I, I mean, I've lived in, obviously lived essentially on a farm growing up um, back in Bendigo. Lived in an apartment in Melbourne. I've lived in a house in Queensland. So uh, I've had a lot, I've had sort of the best of both worlds, best of every world there really. And um, felt like I had some experience to draw on there for what I wanted. So yeah, ended up getting an apartment. Just felt like it was a lot easier if you away for two months in Europe, you can kind of just lock the door and leave and don't have to worry about cutting 
hedges or grass or anything <laughs> like that on your property. So, um, yeah, that was kind of, that was the process there. And then obviously get a car, get a phone, get all the things that you've kind of got to get to set up your life. So who were you, who were you leaning on during this period? Like, mm. are there, are there other players in the area that you were picking the brains of? Like, did your management team come up trumps and kind of take care of it? Some of it for, uh, for you, like logistically, you know, what kind of support did you have making these choices? Yeah, so we've got uh, Luke Mackey's. I'm not even sure what his official title is, but he's <laughs> he's over here in Orlando as well, uh, doing essentially like a bit of a um, bit of almost like a well. I don't say welfare job. Yeah, like yeah. He does. He, he does a, a great job with guys doing gym work and doing. He does a lot of treatment, um, sort of physio wise, on me when I'm when I'm home. Um, he caddied for me, caddied for a number of the guys that are around. Uh, but I mean, I think we would spend most of us would spend more time around at his place, having a beer and just chatting and watching the footy. And he's a Demons fan, and I'm a Doggies fan, so there's plenty of AFL chat going on at the moment. Geez, and Lozzie's yeah. wife is a Collingwood fan, so that's the, that's the best at the moment. Um, <laughs> just like just generally hanging out. So Luke was great to, to kind of lean on to start, sort of ask like how he set things up. Um, I found it really, I found it really. Uh, I don't know whether you'd call it frustrating or fascinating, just how things logistically work in other countries when you're trying to live there. And obviously, there would be people that would listen to this that have lived in other countries and are pretty pretty much going to tune out. But like anyone that's just lived in Australia, there's just so many little things that you don't even realise. Um, you know, there's, you move to America, it's just so different. But it's like if you grew up in America and you moved to Australia, it would seem so different moving to Australia as well. So it's, um, it's not necessarily a worse system. It's just different. So, um, I mean, small examples like I own an apartment building back in Australia and I have to pay renter's insurance for someone to rent it out, whereas in, in, in America I have to pay renter's insurance as the renter of the apartment, not the person who owns it. Just just a bunch of little stuff like that that you just, I guess, you're not really used to and little loopholes here and there. And obviously there's not really like a handbook for how to do this. So finding out a lot of stuff on the go and talking to people who've done it before. So obviously, yeah, Luke Mackey was really helpful. And then like Curtis Luck, um, Brett Coletta, Ryan Ruffles are all there as well. They're sort of around um, the Isleworth area. Um, Gabby Ruffles has just moved very close to me as well in, um, where I am about 10 minutes from Arworth. Uh, I know Sarah Jane Smith and uh, her husband Dwayne, uh, not far away. Um, Sarah Camp lives not far from me as well. There's kind of a good Aussie community that goes on. Sure, we live in Arworth as well. So there's a really nice Aussie community and Aussie vibe that sort of goes around there. And we always feel like um, we can chat about everything that's seems like it's messed up about America that's not the same as back on. <laughs> it is amazing though, the the like and it and it's something that like constantly catches me off guard in a really good way when we're out travelling the world is that Australian community and it it's such an easy thing. Like it's it yeah. is that that sense of you know, you've grown up with these these players, you know, you and Ryan and, and, and Brett have been on teams for you know, like nearly a decade, I guess, technically, even though you're only, what are you, 25, 26 now, 25? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, just having that, that ease um, to lean on as a support crew where you just don't have to make that much of an effort because people already know you mm-hmm. is, is just so valuable, isn't it? 
Yeah, I think being a good golfer, uh, you can get a lot of people. I, like I'm, I'm pretty. Uh, I, I analyze people a lot when they sort of. If you first meet people, and you know when they come into your life, is um, essentially like kind of the reasons that they're around you, what mm. their what their motivations are, and um, essentially whether you're someone that they just really like and get along with quite well, or whether they're someone that they you're someone that they want to play golf with and be seen with on Instagram, and you know kind of be a bit popular that way. Or you know I've just I've I've probably always done it for a long time and just analyze you know, everyone's motivations for why they're around me. And I think when you've got, yeah, guys like Luke or Curtis or Brett or, uh, or Ruff, you know that that's, you know, that's not what they're, why they're around you, that you know that um, essentially we're just mates because, you know, we're, we're kind of in the same position in our in our careers. And it's, it's tricky, like, because you're competing against these guys too. You you know, you don't really want to, really want to help them out too much in some way. But then also, like, I think they're probably the only people that, understand a lot of what you're going through at times as well so yeah it's great to have those guys around and, and really feel like um you know i mean i think i moved to noosa a few years ago and probably had less friends than i do moving to orlando <laughs> i was gonna ask you in terms of you know one of the things that's always been a theme with you is your support crew and yeah. how tight you've all been and especially on the road like almost to the point where you know, a year and a half, two years ago, it was it was almost isolating from the rest of the tour for you because you guys were such a tight unit that you hung out so much. Um, how has that been moving away from them and how have you kept your team together and kind of managed that part of, of your game? Uh, yeah, I mean, we have a group chat that if you, you know, if, if Jamie goes and does a lesson for an hour or two, two you know, back-to-back lessons, he's generally complains because he comes back to 78 voice messages and 36 <laughs> text messages and generally none of them have got any sort of productive value on my golf it's you know something about Dom's trying to run a marathon or um poking fun at Jamie trying to smoke cigars or, or whatever so um they're going to be so glad I yeah, asked I mean, this question mm, now mm, aren't they <laughs> we, <laughs> what a stitch up. we uh we always we're always in contact um from that side of things we're always we're always chatting and uh we do a lot of zoom calls we actually do a lot of Zoom calls just kind of hanging out. You know, um, Nick Pugh, my caddy, went back to Brunei to see his uh, wife and two cats and two dogs uh, about a month ago. And we literally just set up a Zoom call whilst he was in quarantine because we, you know, just wanted to keep him entertained for an hour or two and, you know, feel like he wasn't depressed and lonely on his own. So, yeah, we're sort of, we're pretty tight-knit crew in that respect. Obviously, you don't see each other face-to-face um, as much as we used to, but uh, those guys are very much willing to travel. Uh, it's not as if uh, you know, I'm talking to a lot of players out here that, or Australians anyway, that have got coaches back in Oz and they don't want to travel or they're contractually not allowed to travel um, with where they work or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty fortunate that um, all my crew can, can travel if they want to. Um, it's just I, I've probably this year's been a bit of a scramble. I felt like I've not really played the way I would have liked to just still trying to adjust. Um, I know a big one has been uh, not having Simi there, my, my physio from last year. Mm. She was um, she was obviously did a great job on my body, but also like we were pretty tight friends. And uh, you know she was she was great for me out there. She did a lot more than sort of just physio stuff. She would um, help me organise a lot of stuff around the tournament and just you know just little things day to day, whether it be like taking my track man to the locker or something just really basic stuff like that. She was always really good with doing a lot of that kind of stuff. And uh, just not having, not having her here is, 
um, has been tricky, but I'm sort of I've I tried to kind of negate it by seeing you know guys that are out here on tour uh, that do physio stuff or uh, kind of doing my own stuff through some different weeks, and I've tried a lot, and I uh, I just can't seem to find the same um, the same as what I had. So I'm um, hopefully sort of on the edge of employing someone uh, to come on now to to do that job so we'll see, kind of see how that goes and see whether that makes an improvement but yeah I feel like I've had some pretty good opportunities this year I just haven't just haven't been able to play the, the way I would have liked to because more external stuff going on rather than anything kind of actually on the golf course which is it's been a little bit frustrating but it kind of is what it is I think everyone's going through everyone from Australia anyway is going through very similar problems so uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get there slowly and uh, it's I'm only 25. I've got plenty of time to go. <laughs> you do. You have oodles. And speaking of time, like it hasn't been overly straightforward in the fact like you played Saudi, you had three weeks, then you played the WGC, then you had three weeks, and you've actually only had two back-to-back tournaments um, since early February, realistically, um, in terms of like trying to get that comfort zone. Mm. You know, what kind of things – when you get to a PGA Tour event, you know, you've played, um, what, four of them already this year – You've you've never shied away from going and putting your name down with uh, with practice rounds with with you know the, the big boys and I I kind of want to hear about that in the next section as well in terms of who you've played mm, practice mm. rounds with this this week at the PGA it's something I've always admired about you um, but what kind of you know what kind of mental conversations have you been having with yourself rocking up to these events and just trying to trying to settle down I guess in a way. I feel like I've always been pretty good at turning up to an event without having played in maybe two or three weeks and still feeling sharp. I feel like I'm, I'm getting pretty good at, at the practice side of things to be able to do whatever whatever drills I need to do or, or whether it's play a bunch of cash games or whether it's, you know, there's some drills. I'm kind of sort of filming a little bit of stuff um, for some social media potentially coming up that I've got a few drills that I'll sort of like give away a little bit of that, have been really good for me getting ready to play tournaments um, and feeling like you, your body's in like a real competitive or you, I guess your golf swing's in a real competitive um, phase, whereas I think people can fall into the trap of sort of um, worrying too much about how their golf swing's looking or, um, you know, hitting, hitting whatever shots on the range or anything or just trying to make golf swings. I think, you know, obviously when you're in a bit of a, a routine and a, and a, um, a flow from playing tournaments, you, you that's that's kind of, you, you end up hitting a lot of golf shots. You don't hit a lot of you don't make a lot of golf swings. Um, you don't really think about a lot of technical stuff. So I've always been, I think I've always been pretty good at doing that. Um, sort of turning up to an event, having not played in a while, and, and being ready to go. Uh, and yeah, like I'm. I'm definitely, uh, I, I definitely enjoy the attention. I, enjoy, I don't, I don't have any issue with it, with there being cameras around or being anything around. Um, if you're going to play with the best players, I think, to be honest, generally, if you're going to like, I mean, playing with Tiger a couple of years ago is the best example. And like, I think a lot of people would have been pretty nervous playing with him. And don't get me wrong, I was, I was, I had a lot of adrenaline running on that first tee, but I also knew that like. Realistically, Tiger wasn't paying any attention to what I was mm. doing. He's mm. so focused on the same thing. And Does like, I a... could have shanked it off the first team. Probably, <laughs> probably wouldn't have even noticed. <laughs> but um, you, you've done that with Justin no Rose one there, as well. No one there was you? there to watch me play. So, <laughs> right. so I was, you know, to me, that was 
like I got to go and walk around for nine holes with the goat and see how he went about things. And I got to hit a few shots on the way around as well. I never felt like I was trying to prove anything to him or or whatever. And I, I probably I probably play well enough in some events worldwide now where I feel like I've gained a little bit of respect um, off the players. I, I feel like most of the guys, if I see them through the locker room or uh, in the lounge or whatever, they they say hello and they they know who I am at least. So that's kind of. Um, that gives me, I feel like I've got a little bit of respect off them there. So, you know, I just want to try, um, probably at the stage, you know, I want to try and get out on the course and, and gain some respect out on the course. But I think, um, I think guys are starting to see me enough out there that, you know, they, they're knowing who I am at least and putting a name to a face and, I don't feel completely a fish out of water when I turn up at a PGA Tour event. It's probably a good leap-off point to um, get stuck into what is in front of you um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, your time. So why don't we get a break out of the way and we'll come back with um, a a Lucas Herbert preview of what's (laughs) to come for you and and what's in front of you for the next four days. I think we're all fascinated. We like the look of where even if we haven't been there, we've seen enough of it. Um, a lot of us remember, you know, 2012, I think when Rory, you know, knocked him over by plenty there. And that second round, I think it was when the wind got up and the average score was about 78 for the day. So why don't we, why don't we um, get a break out of the way now and come back with your thoughts on where you're at with your actual game and what's in front of you for the next couple of days. Lucas Herbert, our special guest on Inside the Ropes, our PGA Championship preview on the other side of this. With Australian Golf Media, you're back inside the ropes. Welcome back to the show. Lucas Herbert, our special guest. So we've, we've done the kind of how you're starting to put your roots down and find your new normal over there in the States sort of broadly. Um, we're at Kiwa in South Carolina now. That's where you've been for the last couple of days. You've sort of told us what we're likely to expect from a weather perspective. How is your game? Ali sort of asked you about it just before the break. How do you feel like you're playing at the moment? Uh, I don't feel I don't feel too bad. I mean, uh, the, the tricky thing for me is uh, just getting my body right to play each day. I feel like I get quite tight, um, especially through my lower half. Um, it gets very jammed up quite easily and quite quickly. Uh, I can kind of go and see the physio and, and have everything exactly where it should be, and then turn up 24 hours later, and it's all sorts of messed up. Um, so that's probably the one thing and I've, I've realistically I've probably struggled it most struggled with it most of my career yeah. um, getting consistent sort of uh, turning up and having my body sort of consistently in the same spot each day so it, it felt it, I mean it felt pretty good out there today it feels like um, I've got I've, I've worked pretty hard on getting the ball flight down um, getting ready to come here this week here well, obviously it's going to be windy so um, controlling that flight Sort of into the wind, and then just being out. I mean, there's going to be tee shots where the you know the fairway sits right to left on you, and the wind's left to right, and it's just a really awkward shot. So I've sort of done a lot of practice in trying to trying to feel like I've can um, be comfortable over those tee shots. Uh, so if I can, I mean, if I can get off the tee the way it feels like I was getting off the tee the last couple of days, um, I should be I should be good to go. It's it's just it's yeah, it's, it's tough off the tee. It's going to be the rough's really thick, uh, but then around the greens, it's not too bad. You, the greens are pretty, pretty flat, realistically, compared to you know how hard the rest of the golf course is. They're they're rolling absolutely perfectly. Um, as soon as as soon as I felt like I got out in the practice round, it felt like we could read the greens really, really well. So, I, I mean, yeah, 
like I said, if I can get off the tee really yeah, well yeah. and keep it out of trouble, it's the golf course that'll play really nicely for me. If I start uh, if I start hitting a few wayward, it's it's the kind of golf course you're going to lose balls. It's not sometimes if you can kind of hit it um, offline and and maybe find it, hack it back to the fairway. Like it's going if you miss if you miss fairways, you're probably going to make doubles and triples. So it could nearly be sort of back to a U.S. Open mentality of just you know if you're out of position, make sure you don't make any worse than bogey and you know, pretty much try and shoot four rounds at even par and, and you'll do pretty well. From a from a design perspective, Pete Dye, you know, there's all of these sayings like, you know, do or die, and, and he's diabolical. Like, he's got a name that lends itself very well uh, to his style of design. But can, can you, like, can you talk us through what kind of course you're looking at? Obviously, it's incredibly coastal, very wind-affected. But um, from a design perspective... Uh, I always like picking your brains about this kind of thing and I'm putting yeah. you on the is spot. It, is it like a course we know <laughs> back home? Is it, is it like any course that you can sort of steer us towards back in Australia? Back in Australia? I mean, first my first glimpse of it felt like Whistling Straits. I've only walked Whistling Straits, but um, it felt like there. I'll try and think of something back in Australia. Um, I mean, the rough, the rough kind of makes it nothing like Australia yeah, right. uh, yeah, from yeah. that point of view. I'd say maybe something like something like the Cut Golf Club or maybe even some holes at the, on the beach course at 13th Beach. Okay, um, righto. Yep, yep. Maybe if you look at something, if you looked at like maybe like, a, uh, I'm not sure what normally, what the normal order is, but maybe like two, three, and four, the way we play it in the Vic Open um, on the beach course there where you sort of play play the par fives and then there's a par three and then a little short par four that kind of goes through like the sand dunes there. Yeah, yeah. It almost, it probably has similar kind of feel to that, but then take every tee box back about 150 yards and that's kind of what you're, <laughs> what you're, what you're kind of visualising. But uh, yeah, it's got that sort of feel about it. Um, I mean, the kicker yeah, is the grass, just, right? Because the grass is just totally different to, to what you'd get on a, on a 13th beach, kind of in terms of how it plays. Like, um, yeah, it's a little. It's a little different. It's like I'm. I'm struggling to figure out what the the fairways. Anyway, the fairways are like. I, I mean, I've been calling it like a California mix of fairway grass. It's like it. It's actually really. It, they're actually really nice fairways. The ball sits really nicely on them. I'd almost say it's like some of the courses you get through Melbourne, like maybe a Latrobe or Green Acres or some courses out there. You get. Um, almost, it's not winter grass, but it's sort of similar to winter grass, um, kind of fairways out there. Uh, I'd say that's, that's what you're looking at for fairway grass. The greens are kind of a mix between like a bent and a, and a pass palm. I'm trying to think if we have pass palm in Australia anywhere. Uh, no, we had it at Saudi, uh, but I don't think we have much of it because it's so, yeah, it's so good. At, Saudi, I think it's incredible with its salt it's tolerance, but we just don't, surprisingly mm. enough, we don't have the, yeah. a lot of the, um, the coastal courses in places like, you know, Northern Australia that mm. would require it a little bit more. Yeah. It's usually pretty painful playing on pass bar, but because of the bent mix with the pass bar, it actually is pretty good. It, the, the ball's rolling really nicely on there. In the times that I've putted out in the practice rounds, it's, it's felt like it's held its line really nicely. Um, and it's, it's good in the wind too. It doesn't feel like your ball's going to get blown away really quickly from the hole in the wind. So yeah, that's the sort of grass you're looking at. And then, it's just it's going to be funky one this week with we've heard that they're going to play all the bunkers as waste areas. So then even a, even a greenside bunker that is like it's a bunker. It's it's not a waste area. Like it is specifically a bunker. They're talking about playing that as waste areas. 
which is not good for the guy who's teeing off last, no. uh, who's potentially going to be in every single divot in, and footprint in the bunker. So I'm not sure what the plan is with all that. Um, so hang on. So greenside, just, uh, just uh, greenside bunkers are going to be – Surely not all green. That's not going to be applying to. You're there, so you know. Is that applying to every bunker on the golf course? Yeah. So you think the Whistling Straits in 2010 when um, Dustin Johnson yep, yep. grabbed that six iron and, and was penalised? So imagine the opposite of those rules. So like any sand on the golf course is just wasteland. That's yeah. what we've heard so far, and it could change. I mean, it could change tomorrow. I'm not sure what the plan is. I'm not sure they might have. They might have someone walking with each group, raking the bunkers. I'm, I'm not too sure. They might just do like a general rake of them yeah, every right. yep. couple of groups. I'm not really sure. Um, we're sort of practicing for everything, really. So let me ask you, it was really interesting talking about the um, the premium on driving, you know, on, on this course. I'm, sh- I'm sure I read somewhere, and correct me if you were quoted incorrectly or not, but after that WGC event in Florida, you, you went in there feeling like you were hitting the ball pretty well. But I, the quote I read or the paraphrase I read was that you felt like you weren't necessarily committing to hitting the shots you needed to hit once you got there. Is that what this is going to take, if that was the case back then, is that what this is going to take here when you stand there and you've got whatever that drive is that you've sort of described to us in front of you, you just have to be 100% committed on the shot that you're going to hit or you're going to pay a pretty heavy price for it? Yeah, I guess the... The way I kind of describe it, I play, you play out in Europe and generally golf courses are pretty forgiving. So you can, you can generally, if you've got a hole where it's like there's water down the left-hand side, you're probably going to have not a lot to the right. You might have some rough, you might have a tree, but generally you can get away with kind of missing it in the right rough. Um, therefore, I feel like when I play out in Europe, I can almost pretty much guarantee I'm going to make the cut most weeks by picking the right lines off the tees and the right angles into greens where I, pre- I can't sort of run up a double or a triple and really ruin myself. And I, I just back my own ability to be able to make two or three birdies around. And, and you know, even if you're playing poorly, you can generally scrape through on the, on the cut line. Mm-hmm. Over here in the US, quite different. I feel like you could very much have a hole where it's water down the right and it's out of bounds left. And if you're playing poorly, you're going to get found out. And even if you're playing well sometimes, you've just, you've just got to commit to hitting it down a line that might be pretty central to the fairway, and you can hit a shot that's really not that bad, and it goes in the water. And I can tell you there's, there's a lot of guys out here who miss putts playing pretty nicely each week. It's just it's a fickle game, and it's one of those things where, you know, you can't really you can't really kind of avoid the trouble out here. It's pretty much it's, you're going to hit one in the water somewhere, or you're going to hit one. Um, you know, somewhere poorly. So you can't just kind of make like an anti-left or an anti-right. Yeah, through, right, you know, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and I think that's probably that's probably what found me out at, at concession was I was probably just trying to take out the worst miss on each hole and then therefore that was probably making me hit it in the next worst miss on the other side of the fairway. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I actually wish I still had the game that I had at concession uh, this week because I was, I was hitting the ball really, really nicely. I mean, mentally, that was that was the biggest thing for me that week. I just wasn't I wasn't up to standard, and and my result obviously reflected it. But it was good because Jamie was there, and we talked about a lot of stuff that happened that week, and, and a lot of causes for what was going on, and hopefully, sort of built some patterns going forward that, um, you know, are different from the ones that I was in. In terms of so, 
rewinding back to 2012, I was thinking about this uh, this morning, that, you know, the narrative of the event last time round was that this place is so long that the long hitters are going to play well. What What is the buzz like in 2021? Like, you know, on the ground, is there a lot of hype about certain players? I'm just curious as to where the, mm. where the storyline is and where they're leading people um, to look for good, kind of good performances. You trying to put a DraftKings team in this week, Alex? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm good value if you want to put me in. I saw, I <laughs> oh, saw you're, in my, you're in my team. I'm a cheap, I'm a cheap buy this um, I think it, it, it's a tricky one. Uh, I would be looking at guys who have played probably played well in, in Open Championships before. I'm going to say Open Championships before John Harvin cuts my head off, but British Opens. Uh, you know, guys that play really well in the wind, guys that can slide it and, you know, control their golf ball really well in the wind. I think you're going to be, you're going to be looking for those kind of guys and then and definitely guys that are long off the tee. I don't think, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want to be a club pro playing here this week. <laughs> it's, it, is a, it is a really, really tough test to golf. I'm, you know, I'm already, uh, I'm already getting some nerves about playing it and, you know, I'm kind of doing this for a living like the club pro Club pro guys are going to be uh, in for a real a real treat this week. Is it a beautiful um, course, Lucas? Is it a, is it a spectacular? It looks spectacular from oh, on the tally. Is it a? Is it visually? I'm and, sure it is. When, yeah, sure it is when you're not worried about getting <laughs> absolute piss out of you from <laughs> the first four holes, straight back in the yeah, air. I'm not really. I'm not really focusing on that too much, Ron. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, mate, well, we can't wait. Um, we're looking forward to it. It's a good, strong Australian contingent. You're part of it. That we're, We've got to look forward to teeing it up. How do you go waiting? Like you've, you mentioned before, you know, the, the condition of the course by the time you get there, you're in one of the late groups out on day one. Are you, are you good at sort of hanging around, waiting for a late tee time when the tournament started? Uh, yeah, I'm probably one of the best sleepers in the world, so I'll have a lovely sleep in. Uh, I drove here this week, so I bought my guitar here this week. I bought a guitar over here, and I'm horrendous at it, so I'll get some practice in <laughs> uh, in the morning. Really take my mind off it. Um, yeah, just kind of cruise around, do do whatever, really kill time. It's actually it's kind of on an island where it's like one road in, one road out, so we'll probably have to get there pretty early to make sure that traffic doesn't... Uh, doesn't ruin any of our warm-up plans. So, yeah, I, don't, I definitely don't mind a late tea time. I still, I haven't had one out here in America on Saturday or Sunday. Um, it's been too late yet. So I'd be interested to see how three o'clock tea time would go, you know, if you're playing one of the last groups on the weekend. But um, it's definitely, I mean, it would be a good problem to have if, uh, if that comes along this week. Well, we're hoping that's exactly the case for you, mate. Thanks again for um, sticking up for us, staying up for us, and giving us so much of your time. You're always really generous with us here on um, on Inside the Ropes. We wish you all the very best, mate. We'll all be up early having a look. Hopefully we get to see a lot of you over the next uh, four or five days. Thanks for thanks for joining us. No worries. Thanks, guys. Tell Hazy I missed him. I can't believe he's on holidays. Yeah, no, he's quite <laughs> lazy. <laughs> Cheers, Lucas. It is. Lucas Herbert, part of the Australian contingent, turning up in the PGA Championship over at Kewa Island, joining us on the show. Back to wrap it up on the other side of this. With Australian Golf Media, you're back inside the road. Welcome back to the show. A few bits and pieces to get stuck into before we wrap it up. Ali, I'd never heard of the Pro Long Drivers Association. I didn't know there was such a thing in Australia until you mentioned it and Joel Taylor, who's about to join us. Did you know much about this before we 
before we uh, before we heard of Joel Taylor? No, not in Australia. And no. I think that's part of you know it's just something that would I really feel would appeal to a lot of Australian audiences in a in a non traditional golf way, which is what's really kind of got me going about it, which um, is really interesting. And you know, the last kind of. 12 to 18 months in this niche market has been a bit of a bumpy one when it's yeah. building so much momentum over in the US with a lot of um, events being held and televised by Golf Channel. Mm. And, you know, and I feel like that kind of has taken a little bit of a U-turn um, because of the COVID situation and, and money, essentially. It all comes down to that um, at the end. But yeah, so when we when Joel Taylor reached out, I was just thrilled to be able to get him on the show. Well, he's on the show and he joins us. Joel, thanks for joining us, mate. Not a problem. Thanks what, for having me. What's your role within this association? So I run the franchise in Australia of the PLDA. So they're a main American mob um, that have taken it on, and I took on the Australian side of it to get the sport up and going here. And how long has it been? How long have you had sort of been putting the roots down here in Australia and developing a league or a tour? Um, how, how long has that been going for? So PLDA has officially been going to Australia since January. So we've had four events so far, uh, another 10 to go this year. And how are you getting cut through? Is there, uh, I mean, obviously COVID's you know, pr- providing all sorts of challenges and you know, they're, they're probably you know, self-evident, but how are, you, um, how are you getting the word out about the league and how are you kind of getting the message out that this actually exists and, and is a viable option for players who can smash it a long way? Uh, that's the hard thing at the moment. So what we've got, we've got a, about 15 pro uh, long drive athletes that have been doing this it for sort of 10 upwards years. Um, so the way I'm trying to get it going now is reaching out to the amateurs. So just through going to golf clubs, contacting golf clubs, uh, all social media ways, uh, going through the buy, sell and swap pages on Marketplace and Facebook, just reaching out to people saying, if you can hit a long ball, come get amongst it. Come have some fun. So and we're finding that fairly well. So I've reached out. We had 20 amateurs at our first event mm-hmm. in Queensland. Well, it was pretty cool uh, to have that. And some of these guys are keeping up with us big boys. So it's pretty cool to be seeing what's going to happen and where we can take it. In terms of your own journey, like you play off plus one, right? I think, Joel, don't you? You, yeah, you're no slouch. One. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and and you're not you know slouch off the tee either. No, no, no. So oh. yeah, I got right. Um, yeah, we used to play off plus one when I lived back in New Zealand. Uh, moved over here and sort of gave golf up a little bit. Uh, but then got into long drive and it's found my passion again. So joining a club, getting back into long drive, or back into normal golf, and still doing long drive. Absolutely love the sport now again. In, uh, we were talking last night about how last year, you know, you weren't really sure what the reception of this would be like in Australia. You know, you started doing a couple of events, I think, in, during kind of the, the, the more COVID lockdown period where you had, you know, like seven people showing up. But, you, but you've, you've seen that gradually increase. And you said you've already had a couple of events this year. What's, it, what's the turnouts been like in, uh, in 2021? Yeah, it's been amazing, as you're saying. Yeah, we had seven people at a couple of little events in Queensland last year. Uh, January rocked around, and I took on a marketing lady, uh, tried to do it all professionally, uh, and all of a sudden, our first event, mm. we had 30 competitors. Um, so a big jump from seven 
uh, was at least 150 spectators. And it was amazing. I was just running around like a headless chook <laughs> trying to get for everyone. I was also competing, so my head's all over the place. Didn't know what was going on, but just what happened was amazing. And ever since then, it just keeps getting bigger. Um, we've, we're just about up to 1,000 followers on Instagram. We're sort of all over the world. Uh, it's only been four months. Uh, so the, what we can see is it's just going to keep growing. And what's happening in the PGA at the moment with Bryson and Kyle Berkshire um, under Cobra Puma again. Um, it's just it's just getting bigger, uh, and it's a great way of seeing these guys that can do something different on a golf course. Well, I guess you're kind of the epitome of, of learning on the fly with these things when you're trying to create something. And you know, I know you're you're aiming to have about 14 events this year. But what did what was the demographic like mm. at this event? Mm. You know, you've got 30 competitors. Who who was standing in that lineup? So we had your um, the ten pro, we had ten pros there. A couple of the boys were uh, previous Australian long drive champs. Um, then we had a few amateurs. Like we had some really good amateurs show up. Just the amateurs, they were they couldn't wipe the smile off their face. It was just amazing to see what they're like, and they're the guys that are contacting me every day, asking me what's next, what are we going to do, how are we going to grow this. It's just, it's an unreal feeling just thinking we've taken this from pretty much nothing in Australia to what we have now. And it's just getting bigger and bigger. Uh, it's just, yeah, the cool feeling to be part of it or to be actually running it. So, Joel. Sort of full time. Yeah. So, so. Lucky I took off work. Yeah, right. So, so we the ambition is to keep growing the thing and more tournaments and greater exposure. Let's see where that goes, and we wish all the very best. If people are hearing about it for the first time and they've missed, you know, the the sort of entry points that you've been developing, how can they get in contact? If they can smack it out there over three fifty, and they think that they're, you know, that they they could compete um, in the events that you're looking to schedule, how can they find out more about it? So what we've done, we've also gone and broken down the amateur side of things. So I've gone and put two division and two divisions in the amateurs, uh, three forty yards and under, three forty forty yards and over, uh, for guys that just want to come and have some fun. So the best way to do it is check out our social media platforms, Facebook and Insta, and also our website. It has all our events on it, has photos of the day, has a lot of information of what we're doing on there. Tell, uh, tell us what it's called, Joel. Tell us what it's called. So if they are going to look up either of those platforms, what what do they look for? Uh, PLD, PLDA Australia. Right, uh, PLDA Australia. Yep. Great. So, yeah, straight to our socials. Uh, yeah, so it's a great thing to get on board. Uh, even just for people to come and watch and watch the pro guys hit 350, 390 metres sort of thing. It's just crazy. Uh, it's just it's a spectacle to just watch on its own. So if say say someone that's listening, one of our fabulous listeners is down at the local driving range, right, and they see this guy down the end of the range or girl that absolutely murders it off the tee. Do they, you know, should these people be walking up? Hey, you know, have you thought about it? like it, it sounds mm. like a scene out of Happy Gilmore? <laughs> but oh, but could that be something? Is that open to them? Yeah, definitely. It's, anyone's welcome. If you can hit it, or even if you just want to challenge your mate, come along. Uh, it's to, open to everyone. We go to the range and we get people coming up to us all the time asking about it. Uh, it's just the way it's going to grow is word of mouth and through your socials. 
So what's what is what is the big goal? You know, we talked a little bit about you mm. know countries like Japan, South Africa, um, Europe. You know, NZ they've all got like starting their own little contingents. Is is the goal like private funding and and like one big league? Yeah. So what we're trying to do through the PLDA is get all the countries involved. Eventually, once we can travel again, all the countries get together. We compete against each other. We go to America. The worlds are on this year. We were hoping to get send a team from Australia to the worlds this year, but due to COVID, we can't fly out of the country till at least October. Uh, the worlds are happening in September, uh, so we're going to miss this year. But next year, it's definitely on. We have some world class athletes in Australia that can keep up with the big boys over there. Uh, so that's the main goal to grow long drive to where it used to be and even beyond what it used to be. Well, mate, good luck. Um, any uh, avenue out there that it allows people to compete um, playing golf, and if it's just a single, you know, if it's a single skill set that's being encouraged to um, be displayed like this, so be it. Um, we wish you all the very best. It can only be good for the game long term, mate. So good luck. Uh, we'll touch base with you from time to time and um, see how the evolution's going. We appreciate you for telling, appreciate you for joining us today to tell us a bit about it. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. And yes, definitely reach out and I'll keep everyone updated on how we're going. Joel Taylor from the Pro Long Drivers Association joining us on the show. Um, other few little bits and pieces before we wrap it up. Lee Westwood, I don't know whether he was going to make it eventually, ultimately into the English team, or the, sorry, the British team, mm. uh, to compete uh, at the Olympic Games. But he's the latest of the uh, in for big name players to withdraw their potential services from the Olympic Games of Tokyo coming up in about 65 days. I think we're supposed to be over there teeing it up and doing all the other bits and pieces that make up an Olympic game. So he's at Westy's out. Yep. I just, I find it disappointing. I like, to be honest with you, I'm not like, usually I'm pretty, mm. you know, cruisy about this kind of stuff. I do. I find it really disappointing that the guys pull out. It is such an opportunity. You see it coming four years mm. in advance. Mm. It's five years this time yeah, around. Right. It's not like you can't manage a schedule around it, but I just think the big pictures at play and everyone that played it. So like Shan Chan Fung, for example, she got the bronze medal in Rio. She calls it her rose gold medal. And she calls Lydia Ko, who got the silver, her white gold medal. And then Envy Park, who got the gold medal because she felt like they were all winners. And she literally walked around the golf course smiling the entire week uh, because she wanted to show everyone that golf was fun. That was her yeah. baseline. Yeah. Um, she's, she's obviously a great ambassador for the game. All three of them are. But uh, the big picture is not lost yeah. on, on them. And I just wish it, it translated uh, to... It, more more players. I'm not going to pick a gender, but I mm. do think more players, and we see it a little bit more on the men's side, mm. sadly. Mm. Speaking of the men, there's a name uh, that we, I don't know how much we'll get to see of uh, Rakuya Hoshino. Mm. Here's a name. Look at you go. How did I go? Yeah, no, it was great. Right? Thank no, you. No, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm happy that he's on your radar. 25-year-old wins his fifth tournament in Japan on the weekend. Um, and I know you want to say probably a bit more about that, but Perry Strange and Branson all made the cut from an Australian perspective. But every now and again, you just you see without necessarily having seen the guy hit a shot, which I have not. Um, but you, you can see a career profile that you go, oh, hang on, this there might be something a bit special about this player. So you make a note of the name. So Rik- mm-hmm. Rik- Rikuya Hashino. You can watch him this week. Well, he's playing. He's, he yeah. Is. yeah, and he's got into the open. So. Mm-hmm. We'll get to see him on the biggest stages in the coming months. But 
25-year-old Japanese young man who wins his fifth time on a really competitive tour. And it has been a tour that's been knocked around a bit and restricted fields and haven't been able to get you know, as deep a international representation as you might otherwise get in Japan. For a few of those events, it probably mm. should be said. But nonetheless, um, he's won twice this year already in five starts. He's mm. he's a real comer. He is, mm. yeah, yeah. You know, and it's I always find it really interesting when these guys <laughs> flash up on screen. You can like as as an announcer, I always try and have at least a line on everyone Something, because yeah. I just don't want to be <laughs> sounding like when I say. Oh. You know, Hoshino, like a question mark. Um, because, you know, there's just so much golf play- being played around the world. You've got to keep on top of um, on top of all of it. A lot of it, of it yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And he's certainly a name to watch. And I do, I actually just really want to give a bit of a shout out to the Aussie guys over in Japan because uh, they've got a quarantine on the way over. They ha- Well, they had to and they'll probably have to do it on the way back. Yep, yep. And their wives and kids at home as well who are keeping everything um, together and the families that are supporting them. So I just want to know where's... We're seeing your journey. We know it's not easy, but we're all uh, we're all with you. Any other Hannah McAllister? There's a name that I hadn't heard of until I saw a story mm. bob up. Uh, a female CEO of a national golf body. Uh, that being in Wales, of course. Hannah McAllister. I don't know whether you've come across her at all. In she any used to your, play for Wales. Yeah, yeah. in any of your playing days. So uh, this is. For, in terms of we've spent a bit of time talking gender on today's mm. show. We had yeah, Shiloh like Curtis we? on the show last week. Yeah. This is for many. Not just in golf, but in mm-hmm. world sport, a step in uh, a good direction. Well, it, when you're trying to inc- increase participation, mm. it's it's a great thing to have someone on your team, if not leading it, that knows how to tap into it. Mm. Um, because it's it is an untapped market still; it is growing, thankfully. But um, yeah, I, I think it's it's great to see more representation in the, in the top echelons of, of these organizations yeah, yeah. from both sides. If your club's doing um, something special or something you're proud of in that space as well, uh, make sure you send in your nominations for the visionary of the year award. There's going to be monthly recipients for all of that. Send them through to Hazy and the team at uh, golf Australia and um, make sure that you let us know. Uh, and then we'll let others know of all the good work that you're doing in this space. Uh, anything else before we get out of here? No, I, th- no, I, think, we've, I think we've covered most topics today, haven't we? I think we have covered a few today. <laughs> uh, thanks for sticking with us. It's always fun. Uh, we could talk the leg off a chair when it comes to the great game of golf. And uh, happy to have you doing it with us. Good to see you. Always a pleasure. Andy. Enjoy your weekend. Will do. Al could join us on the show. Uh, great to have you with us. Be back next week to do it all again on Inside the Ropes.